HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Alrighty then. This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and with me on the phone today is Mike Calicrate, an independent cattle producer, business entrepreneur, and political activist. He serves as an outspoken leader in addressing the rural, social, and cultural impacts of current economic trends. Mike was a founding member of several farm advocacy groups, including the Organization for Competitive Markets, RCAF USA, and the Kansas Cattlemen's Association. He also was a lead plaintiff in a class action lawsuit against the world's largest meatpacker, IBP, now part of Tyson Foods, alleging unfair and discriminatory marketing practices. And that lawsuit, Mike, um, that lawsuit sprang from uh, violations of what you felt were the Packers and Stockyards Act. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right, Katie. So thank you. First of all, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You have been a guest a few times. So people, if you want to go back and listen to, I looked at my archives and Mike was on about a year ago um, before the Biden presidency began and before the executive order of July 8th uh, was issued from the president's office, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And um that executive order uh, is, you know, runs across many, many industries in the United States, and it addresses multiple issues, um, both for all industries in terms of consolidation and monopolization, which, you know, people who regularly listen to this show know that's been a hobby horse for me for about eight years. Um, but also, um, it, it has a huge section on the agriculture, animal agriculture industry, which I thought was really, really extraordinary, because we really have not seen any administration since I started doing this show over 10 years ago that has directly addressed animal agriculture. So this I thought was groundbreaking. So to uh, start us off, um, the executive order includes a section that charges the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, um, with, quote, consider issuing new rules under the Packers, Packers and Stockyards Act, making it easier for farmers to bring and win claims. And I'm going to go on. I'm sorry about all the quotes here, but they're kind of, it's important to get the language. To wit, quote again, in such rulemaking or rulemakings, the Secretary of Agriculture shall consider, among other things, 
reinforcing the longstanding Department of Agriculture interpretation that it is unnecessary under the Packers and Stockyards Act to demonstrate industry-wide harm to establish a violation of the act and that the unfair, unjustly discriminatory or deceptive treatment of one farmer, the giving to one farmer of an undue or unreasonable preference or advantage, or the subjection of one farmer to an undue or unreasonable prejudice or disadvantage in any respect violates the act. So this is what you have been driving towards since the 90s, right, Mike? That's right, Katie. When we filed the lawsuit against IBP in 1996, we were basically claiming under the Packers and Stockyards Act that they were being discriminatory and unjust in, in the treatment of certain cattle feeders and providing undue preference to other cattle feeders in order mm -hmm. to get the captive supplies, in other words, that supply of animals, of cattle, that, that they needed for their plants without having to compete in the open and competitive market for them. And so right. they could either own them or they could in some manner control that inventory. Well, IBP decided to do the smartest thing of all, not own any animals right. ever, <clears throat> except for you know a week ahead of the slaughter or maybe two weeks at the most, and just let the feedlots take all the risk of ownership and the capital yep. requirement of ownership. And in this brilliant thing called the formula, which I call the nuclear warhead in the arsenal of captive supplies, <laughs> uh, uh, it's what they use to depress the cash market and, and to you know, drive us out of business. And, and so wow. we, we were making a claim, the claim that uh, with the formula that IBP had, had devised, which they didn't have to own any livestock or take any risk on any livestock. In fact, all they had to do was just give a feedlot market access in order to get those captive supplies. And, and I know they, they did give certain feedlots quite a lot of preference, uh -huh. uh, but others were just happy to get hook space. They were just happy to get a place to, you know, sure. get those animals slaughtered uh, close to when they were ready. And, right. and so, you know, we were, we were fighting that. And of course, we'd seen this massive drop in the producer's share of the consumer dollar and, and, and drop in live cattle prices in general. And, and so, you know, the Packers and Stockyards Act was the tool to fix it. Right. And uh, yet the problem is, is when, you, when, when the government won't even enforce their own laws, you go to a judge, especially a Reagan appointee type judge like Judge uh, uh, Strom, the, the one that we had in our case, uh, Lyle E. Strom, he was a Reagan appointee. He not only didn't agree with the Packers and Stockyards Act in its in its clear language, uh, but he he basically, you know, reversed our win. Uh, we won in front of the jury, $1.28 billion in, in uh, damages. Wow. And the judge within days reversed that jury verdict and set an extremely bad precedent. Right. You know, basically, you know, all this, you know, we've got to prove harm to competition, uh, the rule of reason. Look, uh, the judge said, if Cargill and ConAgra or Cargill and JBS now, if they're using captive supplies, doesn't IBP have to as well to compete? You know, so basically, in, instead of making the market more competitive and fair, the judge set precedent giving these big meat packers, all the big meat packers, the green light to really take advantage of yeah. producers. 
And, yeah. and so what we're asking, you know, Vilsack to do and, and the president, uh, Biden, to do now is, look, folks, we, we've set some really bad precedent when, when we did file lawsuits. Let's make it clear. Let's make it very clear to law, all law enforcement, including judges, that this is what we mean by the Packers and Stockyards Act. And, and let's get back to, you know, open, fair and competitive markets. Right, right. I mean, I, I want to just drill down on the one point here, which was, I think, the point that really sort of sunk your boat and has sunk so many others, which is that you have to prove one farmer or one rancher has to prove not that he is being harmed or he and his cohort and his you know, colleagues, but that industry wide all ranchers are being impacted in the same way. And that's that created a precedent that was, imp- I mean, you couldn't possibly, unless you literally got every single cattle rancher in the United States to agree, you couldn't possibly win a lawsuit without that, right? That's right. And these big corporations, they've been so tricky. They've had so many ways to, to, to flout the, the law or, yeah. and its enforcement. And that's just so in your face wrong. And it's like, it's like if you're a woman whose purse is stolen and, and so you, you, you know, some guy runs the thief down and he catches him and, 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 you know, you're, you're worried about your purse and, and getting it back. And, and, and now you want to prosecute the guy for stealing it. And basically the court is going to tell you, well, if you can prove that every other woman in America that has a purse <laughs> was harmed by the theft of your purse, right. then you've got a case. Otherwise, go home and be quiet. Right. And so when, when A.T. Terry caught Tyson cheating him on his poultry weights, he was a grower for Tyson, mm-hmm. this is the rule that, that knocked out his case. He couldn't oh, wow. prove that every other poultry grower in America had been hurt by Tyson stealing his chickens. Right. And so, you know, here the guy is, He's filed a lawsuit against his integrator, the person or the company that supplies his chickens. And so now he's filing bankruptcy because he can't pay the mortgage on his buildings. Right. And and, and, and I mean, you just feel how helpless that is. Is this America? Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, no it's, it's not. That's, that's this a shocking is unfair. story. This is corporate rule. And yeah. and when they get our courts and, and our legislatures and, you know, all of Congress, you know, somebody was just talking the other day about money, you know, for lobbying. And, and, and I was just describing to him how many congressmen you can buy for $10,000. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, and they don't just see 10,000, they, they see millions coming at them. Oh, and so, yeah. and so we've really got a lot of repairs to make here. And, and I love that Biden uh, issued this executive order. I think we've got some really top notch people in place to, to start improving some things uh, in, in, in restoring some competition, but we cannot overlook the power of big corporations. I mean, did you happen to read the Wall Street Journal article that, that followed the, the executive order that said, boy, this is going to be in court. This will be in court for a long time. This is not something that's going to happen overnight. Well, darn right. That is true. They will. They will be in court. They will oh, yeah. push back on breaking up monopoly power. Uh, but oh, we've yeah. got to win. We just in 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 Katie. The only way we actually win in the end is if we get Congress back on the side of the of the citizens instead yeah. of the instead of the corporations. Yeah, because Congress can always fix what the court messes up. Yeah, through clarification, through sure. new legislation if necessary. 
Right, but, right. But what's so frustrating for for producers like myself is that we win oftentimes. We win with legislation. Uh-huh. You know, we win in the court only to have a judge reverse our jury verdict. Or if we win in Congress, like with country of origin labeling, which is going to get looked at again here. Yes, we're going to talk about they that. Just, then they just write the rules to where it reverses the intent of Congress. Mm-hmm. You know, they did it with mandatory price reporting. We were so celebratory. I mean, we were so excited about getting mandatory price reporting years ago when we got country of origin labeling. But all we did was wake up the bear. We poked the bear, the bear being the meatpacking monopoly. They just yeah. simply came in and wrote the rules to incorporate confidentiality, which basically reversed the intent of Congress to have a transparent marketplace. Right. And, and so now we're back at the table after all this damage is done. I mean, we've lost nearly half our cattle producers. We've lost 83,000 independent cattle feeders. You know, we've lost basically all our pig farmers. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's way too late, but it's better than never. It's better than never. So um, just give us an idea of how you think this, I mean, assuming (laughs) that the meatpacking industry does not litigate this to death and, you know, um, I mean, the Packers and Starkyards Act is already on the books. So they, you know, if it's enforced the way it's supposed to, you know, if it works the way it's supposed to, how will that change, um, you know, the lives of ranchers like you? Well, it can change. It's, it can certainly change our lives and change it, change it pretty quick if we can get the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Bilsack, to, to just step in and say, look, this is what the act says. This is what the act means. And we're going to start filing some lawsuits. Well, wasn't he supposed to do that, though, during the Obama administration? And then they just totally dropped the ball. They just completely yeah. walked away from that. I mean, they had the they had the obstructive Congress. Fair enough. But really, you know, they this was talked about eight years ago and nothing happened. So I'm curious why you think Vilsack is, is suddenly going to come to his senses and do well, the right see, thing. Well, see, I was pretty disappointed in his appointment because of, yeah. uh, of what you just described. His performance <laughs> with Obama was pathetic. Yeah. And, and the thing we did back you know, in 2010, as we had the hearings, the antitrust hearings, and that yeah. was pretty exciting. I mean, they, they were all over the country with Vilsack and the Justice Department. And, and I remember Phil Weiser, our Colorado Attorney General, was on that, was on that team uh, to, to really look at how do we restore competition, maybe address some monopoly power. And, and it all went away. It, in, in fact, uh, Lena Kahn, who is now our lead chair of the Federal Trade Commission, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, she should be very she good. She wrote the article, uh, Obama's Game of Chicken. And and that, what happened with Obama back in those days, probably did as much damage to the Packers and Stockyards Act and, and, and the possibility of enforcement as anything ever did. Uh, because it did, it did uh, let the meat packers win. It, it yeah. let that monopoly just gave it all the energy it needed, a total green light to, to completely consolidate and concentrate and centrally plan part of our most, really our, our most valuable part of our of America's food system. Yeah. And so we've got a lot to make up for now under Biden. And it was interesting. I, I saw Phil Weiser at, a, at an event here in Colorado one day and he came up to me and he says, you know, Mike, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that we didn't get it done before. But, you know, Phil Weiser's in a position right now as a, as a Colorado attorney general. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he just revoke JBS's 
uh, corporate charter. I why, don't know. Does, why do they allow these criminal corporations? I mean, serial criminal corporations oh, yeah. to continue to do business in our country. Phil could lead attorneys general across the country in basically taking away their their corporate charters. And, and on the other hand, if USDA wants to get really really aggressive here in addressing this this corporate power and monopoly in our meat packing, which one of these uh, multinational meat packers are not guilty of several felony counts of all kinds? All those price-fixing things. Tyson paid, what, $27 million to settle out of court because they were the first ones to say, yeah, you're right, we did. And now yeah. we're going to rat out the other guys. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. And, and look at the Batista brothers with JBS. I oh, mean, right? These they're guys, both in jail, right? They're world champions. Yeah. I mean, they are, they, they are record setters when it comes to breaking the law. <laughs> and, and yet we allow them to expand around the globe. I mean, yeah. there should be a global movement to get these guys back in jail again forever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they should never put a knife to a, to a piece of meat ever. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we look at our, we look at our uh, uh, food security and how that's related to national security. We're right. in big time trouble. And so, and so, yeah, our state's attorneys generals could come together and say, look, we don't want these criminals operating, especially in such a critical industry as food. And yeah. let's go ahead and take them over, turn those big plants into public utilities, open up some of the ones they've already closed because they want 100% throughput, which means they have no resiliency when bad stuff happens. Right. Open up those other plants that they closed and let's start selling them off and let's start regionalizing and localizing food systems with some great policy that supports that. Yeah. And eventually in 10 years, you know, these big plants will be mothballed, shut down. I don't know what you do with those silly things. I, they're, they're, there's no good use of those, of those massive plants. Right. Uh, and, and I say, build the alternative and gradually shut those big massive plants down, turn them into public utilities right away so we can stop the, the, the price gouging. Yeah. Uh, and, and just all of the horrible things that happen in those big plants from exploitation of workers to the animal welfare problems. Yep. To, all the anti-competitive practices and, and just get these guys retired, hopefully with no money. They can they can go back and get some real jobs somewhere. Perhaps they can they can weed some some fields back out in California under the sun, hot sun. Uh, yeah, see what I mean, that feels like for a change, yeah, right? Let them work the blood pit maybe in some of these smaller plants. Oh uh, God! But, but it, it, we we just have to we just have to do this, and and it and it really does bother me that that. President Biden uses uses words like consider. Yes, you know, we're going to talk about I, that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. That, I, I want to see a whole lot stronger language. But but here's the problem: Biden doesn't have a Congress willing to work with him. Right. We can't even get all the Democrats on one side. Right. And 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 I don't know which Republicans might jump over onto this pro, this idea of you know controlling monopolies. But until we get Congress to represent people again, it's going to you do have to use words to cons like consider because we don't have Congress's support right. to even control monopoly power in our own country. Yeah, it is really interesting that those that those words 
you know, considering issuing new rules is not the same as issuing the rules. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I, I was very, I was quite dismayed when I read the language because I just thought, you know, you can consider all you want, Jack, but, you know, until you actually follow through with enforcement and with antitrust legislation and with, you know, attorneys general going after these big, you know, whatever it takes. Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, this is very nice. You know, whitewashing of of a huge problem. But I want to move on to another section because you know we do have limited time here, not too limited, but limited enough. And that was the part which I understood to be about labeling. So I'm going to in another section, the executive order dictates that this agricultural secretary at I'll quote consider again consider issuing <laughs> new rules defining when meat can bear product of USA labels so that consumers have transparent labels that enable them to choose products made in the USA. Now, now the way it works is, say you're a JBS, if you uh, bring, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but you know these companies can buy their cattle outside of the United States, bring it in, and if it's processed, cut up into steaks and chops and ground meat, then it can be labeled a product of the USA when it, in fact, is not such a thing. So that is are, true. they are talking about cool here, right? They're talking about country of origin labeling. I was very confused by that. There are a couple of things. It, it, right now, if, if we import beef from Mexico and just put it in a different box, mm -hmm. it will qualify for product of the USA. That is right. clearly misleading. That is clearly deceptive. Totally. And all of us would probably, most everyone would agree, it's it's fraudulent labeling. Yet, and USDA has full control of this. Vilsack can decide tomorrow that that yep. will now stop. You cannot deceive the consumer in thinking something is from the USA with labeling that indicate it is when it isn't. That right. can get fixed tomorrow by by the Secretary of Agriculture. Cool cannot get fixed by the Secretary of Agriculture tomorrow because. <clears throat> It's a choice of Congress. When when Congress came in and chickened out on the on the idea that we should be able to label our beef as born, raised, and processed in the USA, and that interfered with our with our uh, trade agreement under the WTO. That's right. Uh, Canada and Mexico was complaining. Pat Robertson, the Senate, my senator from Kansas, you know, he led the repeal of of cool on the Senate side, trying to make his meatpacker friends happy. Yep. And John Boehner on the House side led the repeal of cool on the House side only later to retire and go to work from JBS for <laughs> JBS on, on, on a board, a board position with JBS. So, you know, he got rewarded for his work and yep. JBS was the biggest beneficiary of repealing cool. Of course, uh, uh, from the beef side, of course, Smithfield was the biggest uh, beneficiary on the pork side. Right. And so Congress was totally manipulated and totally sold out the interests of citizens. Well, the WTO, I mean, that lawsuit that was brought uh, via the WTO by Canada and Mexico, and I'm sure other countries joined in as well. But they were threatening to, they were threatening to fine America, the United States, uh, you know, quite a substantial sum of money. I forget what it was, maybe $30 billion a year or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was like $4 billion, I think. Well, I'm sorry. Cost. Okay, $4 yeah. billion. Anyways, it was a big chunk of change, but not bigger <laughs> than the cattle industry. <laughs> right. In right? fact, it might have been one billion, but it was enough to, you it was know, enough to, to say, scare oh, it's going to be terrible. The sky's going to fall. It's all going to go to hell. Yeah. And and the, and I think, Katie, if we really are serious about breaking up monopoly power, breaking up corporate power, the multinational corporations who search the world for the cheapest of everything to sell in yeah. the highest consuming markets, 
we have got to pull out of the WTO. The WTO has no darn business telling us whether or not we can label beef or pork in this country. They have no, no business. Get rid of the WTO. Withdraw from it. And I know you can't talk about that with Congress being supportive of, of this globalization stuff. And I talk about globalization from the corporate power point of view. You know, I, I'm happy to be friendly with my neighbors around the world and, and have sure. commerce and trade between individuals in all different kinds of countries and it, where it's mutually beneficial. But under the WTO, under the WTO, it's only exploitive. It only concentrates wealth into the hands of a few big mm-hmm. corporations, and we have to stop that. So, mm-hmm. so, but we're not going to get cool back unless Congress steps in and gets a backbone and says, "Look, we're going to have country of origin labeling, just like Canada has." Canada sure. complains about country of origin labeling, yet they've got it, and <laughs> we can't have it because they are they want to be able to ship their cattle and meat into the United States, which is their biggest market. Yeah. And so it's amazing how much more power Canada has over our own Congress than we have as citizens of the United States. That is an interesting point you draw. So when they talk about transparency and labeling, if it's not cool, what is it? Well, I think I think we, we're going back to the, to the piece about that imported meat coming in uh, as imported foreign product and when upon repackaging, it gets the product of the USA label. So that's a that's different than cool. Uh, yeah. It, it, so it's not gonna like it. It's not necessarily gonna come in and say this meat is from Canada, but it can't come in and say this is a product of the USA. But hey, it's not just meat. If you're a hothouse tomato grower in Canada shipping product into Colorado uh, during the winter. It gets the Colorado uh, uh, grown label put on it. No way. Or Colorado proud label put on it. Or it can really? get a product to the USA upon repackaging. So it's not just in the meat that that's occurring. And that's something that USDA can fix right now. So right. I, I'm confident that this, this uh, executive order will at least impact that and, and do it fairly soon. And, and yeah. the other reason I'm, I'm, ha- I'm thinking I'm more confident and I'm happier now than I was during the Obama days is because we have some friends. We have some friends that have been appointed into USDA uh, positions of, of, of importance. Andy Green, as an advisor to Secretary Vilsack, is just a good friend, a longtime friend, and he gets it. I mean, he totally understand, understands what needs, needs to be done. You can see his work in this executive order. Tim Wu uh, in, the, in the West Wing is amazing. Tim Wu is all over monopoly power. He knows how much it threatens our freedom and our liberty as individuals, as citizens of this country. And he's got a seat at the table uh, of leadership. Uh, So Tim Wu is going to be really important to us. And, of course, the other one, the other one that's amazing is Lena Kahn as as the chair of the Federal Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission is still stacked with, with folks who represent Wall Street interests over the interests of, of citizens. But still, I think we can start moving things now. So we have Lena Khan and Rohit Chopra, both on the Federal Trade Commission, that are very strong anti-monopoly uh, type law enforcers. Right. And so of that, from that perspective, I'm, I'm excited. But I am not a bit excited about Congress. I'm sick of Congress. I mean, yeah. like, like right now, we're, we're talking about the filibuster. We yeah. can't do anything unless we kick out the filibuster. 
and and you know we need we need a, an, another election cycle you know which is you know what a year and a half out uh, and and of course you risk losing some seats perhaps uh, and I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat I, we need we need legislators that are on the side of U.S. citizens on the side of democracy on the side of freedom and liberty we we just don't have it and and the Democrats have been absolutely every bit as bad. Uh, as far as monopoly power and control of Wall Street, as mm-hmm. as as any of the Republicans are, you know, it doesn't matter which party it is, uh, mm-hmm. they're both controlled by the big money. And, yeah. And, and, but I'm 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 at least more optimistic now. I'm not ready to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, I was. I found that whole uh, product labeling thing a little bit confusing, and 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 I was especially surprised by the quote uh, in AgWeb Daily where the NCBA, uh, you know, legal counsel guy is praising the administration for addressing product of USA labeling. But now I'm beginning to understand it. I mean, thanks to you. Because, yeah, just um, one more point on that. Basically yeah. what they're saying is you can't lie about where the meat comes from. Right. But you can't tell them where it came from either. See yeah, what I'm and saying? And that's why the NCBA likes it. Because yeah. they were they were very much against cool as well, country right. of origin labeling. Am I right? I mean, that's they, exactly right. NCBA has been has been against everything that yeah. was that was of interest to the independent cattle producer. That's right. Oh, and just for people who don't know, NCBA is the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is a very powerful, probably the most powerful lobbying group on behalf of of beef production in uh, in the United States, and they spend you know, hundreds of, I, I, you know, I can't even, I won't estimate how much money they spend lobbying, but trust me, they throw a lot of money at Congress. So well, they've got our beef checkoff. Back they've got when, your checkoff dollars, right. When the dollars, National right. Cattlemen's became the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, it was a, it was a result of, of the National Cattlemen's merging with the checkoff. Right. And, and so basically there's an $80 million a year checkoff that comes from independent cattle producers. Anyone who sells a, a beef animal has to pay into it. And, yep. and NCBA was able to capture that fund, and they have used it to to lobby Congress and became extremely powerful. And yep. as a result, they represent meatpacker interests over, oh, and big retailer interests too. Right, over w- the w- way of, over of the the interest of, of of actual farmers and ranchers. So that's right. It, it's just a travesty. Yeah, we're we're going to take a very short break here uh, for a sponsor drop, and we'll be right back with Mike Calicrate to talk a little bit more about the executive order issued by the Biden administration on July 8th. Um, So please uh, stay tuned for that. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to 
stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic, and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors. Some special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of five or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Okay, so now here's the next thing I wanted to talk about. Um, what did you think about this? The Agriculture Department is supposed to institute, um, quote, measures to enhance price discovery, increase transparency, and improve the functioning of the cattle and other livestock markets. So I'm asking, I want to know what those measures are going to be and how will they be enforced, especially given what we've seen over the last 10 years in terms of these massive price fixing, you know, schemes that have been across the board in every sector of the, of the animal agricultural, uh, you know, industrial playing field. Yeah, we can, uh, yeah, I got that. Yeah, they, they can, tra- tra- transparency would be something easy that they could fix without, without uh, an act without of Congress. Without Congress. That's right. So what, so what would Again, those- you go back to rulemaking, Katie. Uh-huh. See, we, we passed the mandatory price reporting which would have given us transparency. Right. So there wouldn't be any secret deals. There wouldn't be any, any sweetheart stuff going on and uh, to get their captive supplies. And, and, every, and the whole world would know what Paul Engler with Cactus Feeders is getting for preference. Right. Uh, that, and that would have killed it. That would have killed all of that. And, and, and just shining the light on it is a big deal. Well, during rulemaking, the big meat packers were able, and the big feeders too, they were able to get the confidentiality thing added. Right. Well, that was simple rulemaking. That can change. We can change that right away. And is that something that Vilsack can do himself without having to consult with Congress? Absolutely. He can call for another rulemaking session right. on that on that mandatory price report. In fact, it's up for renewal this fall. So, so we've got a great opportunity to, to rewrite that. Uh, well, rule, I, the rules. I sure hope that happens. But Mike, so how will they enforce it? Like what? You know, what measures can they take to make sure that people are, in fact, transparent with their pricing? Well, they, then, then it's just a matter of USDA using their, their authority uh, to, to investigate. You uh-huh. know, if, if, if you're killing, you know, 600,000 cattle a week, you better, get, you better get the prices on those numbers of cattle. Mm-hmm. You know, what was the deal? What, you know, what were those prices paid right. for that number of animals? Right now, it's, you know, you got captive supplies that are you know, 80% or more. Uh, and, you know, none of that gets reported. None of that uh, stuff gets, none of those prices. None of those prices get, are reported. reported. Yeah. Right. So, so give me an idea of like, how will that change things for people like you? You know, like what, what, what will that mean to you in terms of dollars and cents? I mean, are you going to be able to, well, it's going to, well, it, part of the real problem we have here is we only have four meat packers. And, yeah. and so until you break them up and, and, and I think I think you've got to really turn them into public utilities, and government has to run them. 
probably, uh, or you've got to really crank down on them and, and limit them to certain margins. Uh, you know, you're just not going to see much competition. You, and they've already delegated and designated their territories. And so it's going to be really hard for, for the government to go and, you know, start getting them to buy in, in all these feedlots again. You know, yeah. the, I remember when Bruce Bass was asked the question about his cash, you know, his cattle buyers that would go out and visit the feedlots. He says, well, we're not going to need them in the future. We'll just sort of, you know, reduce that number as they as they die off. He said huh. it, he used the word attrition. He says they will be eliminated by attrition. We won't necessarily go in and just fire those guys because they've been with us a long time. And, and you know, we could still use them some. At least right. go out and look at cattle, you know, that we're going to have on the formula. But he said we're not going to add any more. And so they don't even really have cattle buyers anymore that, that are capable of going out. Right. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's like the whole, that whole sort of section. I mean, not that I, I pretend to any expertise in this, but it seems to me that it has just essentially been dismantled. And that it the has. way I understand it is that a producer goes to one of the big packers and says, you know, I want to bring my animals in on such and such a date. What price will you give me? And they don't really find out, and correct me again if I'm wrong, they don't really find out literally until they get those animals to the gates of that of that packing house. Oh, they don't, they they, don't even know then. They don't really? know until, the, until that animal is hung on a rail and, and they've Jesus. got the weight and the grade and all of the other, other right. things that, that are, the price is based upon. That would be changed if this if this rule were you know say altered to to the degree that you would like to see it, and then plus the enforcement came in along with it, then you would see a revival of the cattle buyers who are going out and saying, "Hey, I really like that guy's cattle. This one, eh, not so much." And then it's right. like it is true competition again, right? Yeah, that's right. And and really, uh, you know, whether or not we have a, an increase in the number of cattle buyers or not, we're back before nineteen ninety six. Uh, work the Western Organization of Resource Council, a very smart bunch of folks out of Montana, came up with the work this work rule, and basically they were going to their model would be that all animals, whether whether contracted or otherwise cash traded, would be bought and sold in an open and competitive market, uh, and and you could you could make it an electronic market, and, uh-huh. and so it, everybody could see everything. And if and if you were gonna if you were looking for black Angus cattle that would all grade high choice or or whatever, I mean you could have your standards, your your set of attributes that you were after, but everybody would have the ability to supply animals with those attributes, not just your not just your buddies, uh, you know that are that have got a sweetheart uh, special captive supply deal. Right, right. But right. that was if. But honestly. That tool, if put in place right now, would fix all this stuff. Amazing. But because it would, it's going to be opposed very aggressively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course it is. <laughs> oh my God, this is yes. going to—you know—they're actually going to have to pay real prices. I mean, right. they're going to have to pay real, you know, competitive prices for, uh, you know, for product. They're not going to be able to say, "Well, today I feel like paying thirty-two cents a pound." Uh, so that's what you're going to get, pal, because if you don't yep. like that, you can take your 2,000 head of cattle and head right on back to your ranch and see what you do with those cows. I mean, you know, it's just it's just unbelievable because, I mean, for people who aren't really familiar, like cattle have to be all animals have to get to the packing plant at a certain weight. 
Otherwise, right. if they're too big, you can't sell them for their premium price, like say for steaks and chops or whatever. They have to be a certain size, which is what the consumer or you know the grocery manufacturer, whatever it is, has determined is the optimum size. And once you get out past that, it's like oysters. Like last year in Rhode Island, we grow a lot of oysters here. People didn't buy the oysters. All the institutional buyers went down because of COVID. So these guys are stuck with literally millions of oysters that are way too big for the market. And so they lose their whole, you know, vig on that. And it's kind you know, of the Katie, same thing in, in uh, livestock, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Katie, what you just described, no individual would ever get away with treating another person that way. Yeah, right. But corporations can. And yeah. that, that's the problem is these corporations have become bigger than our government. Yeah. And so they can, they can extract as much wealth as they want without any, any you know, pushback. Right. And, and of course, these settlements, these ridiculous settlements for wage oh, yeah. fixing and, and pork, you know, price fixing. And price fixing price and, fixing and poultry and, and pork. Yeah, absolutely. All that. They just walk away laughing. It's, it's a simple low cost of doing business. Yeah. We aren't getting anything done here. And, and, and so until, until we can get Congress to act and say this is what we want, we want open and competitive markets. We want small business to do well again mm-hmm. and, and give the individual ch- a chance to, to prosper again. Right now, there is no hope of, of getting in the meatpacking business when you've got predators like the big four that yeah. we have today. And one of the things that really, that really concerns me right now when we are celebrating some of these new slaughterhouses that are being proposed, mm-hmm. you know, like the 1500 head a day or whatever, the one in North Platte, Nebraska, there's one they're planning for Iowa. And, and what these really are is many versions of the big plants that, that, that have done so much damage. There are many right. versions. And, and, and the question has to be, okay, assuming you're going to do everything the big meat packers doing, like buying cattle below cost of production, exploiting refugee workers, mm-hmm. you know, abusing uh, uh, in animals. Poor animal welfare, uh, right? Uh, yep. I mean, everything the big meat packers are doing wrong, these new plants are going to have to do as well in order to compete. Yes, but that's what true. they will not have is access to the big retail market or the food service market because the big packers are not going to let them in. And so my answer is much, much smaller local regional plants maybe instead of instead of uh you know a hundred thousand or two thousand head a day plants put in you know put in a thousand you know 10 or 20 head a day plants mm-hmm. and, and put them in in communities all across the country and and they're they're privately owned or they're cooperatively owned perhaps but connected directly to consumers Absolutely no connection to the existing big four retail firms that control retail prices. The ones that have jacked consumers. I, I mean, they have, they, in cooperation with the big meat packers, they have price gouged consumers. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, when I explain how the food system is so broken and how we've price gouged consumers, every, it, whenever you tell that to somebody, it doesn't matter really what business they're in. They'll say, oh, well, yeah, that happened in lumber or that happened in, you know, in the Internet. That happened that happened over here with 
whatever industry they're involved with. Sure. They're, I mean, what industry isn't overly concentrated today in serving corporate profits over 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 the interests of people? Well, that's and, why and, this executive order was such a big deal because it really did cover all of the major industries. Yeah. Uh, in the yeah. not you know it had a big obviously a big section on agriculture, but it was also aviation. It was uh, you know a drug you know, uh, pharmaceuticals. I mean, it was really like, wow, it was very ambitious, but um, oh, we're yeah. going to have to wrap it up in a couple of minutes, but I, I just wanted to see, you know, how you felt about some of the, you know, do you feel like some of these issues that really have defined the last 30 years in terms of consolidation and, and, uh, competition, do you feel like this executive order has included or gone far enough um, do you think it will make changes in the industry that you would like to see, or are we going to get hung up on that consider changing the rules problem that we talked about earlier? <laughs> well, well, Katie, I, I uh, could not have written a better executive order Good. for the industry that I'm in. I'm, and that's the cattle and meat industry. I couldn't have written a better one. I would have preferred, you know, to eliminate the word consider, but I understand where we're at with Congress. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, anyone who flies on an airplane is going to love this executive order. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it, I, I just don't think it could have been better considering our situation. Uh, and, and as far as whether or not we actually get it done, it's going to probably be dependent upon the next election to see how many new people we can get into Congress that are willing to really step up like Senator Tester uh, in yeah. Montana. He's and, a good guy. Yeah. And, yeah. Boy, is he ever a good one. Uh, and we've got, you know, Senator Lee out of uh, Utah, who's very supportive of this stuff. Senator Booker, you know, uh, Klobuchar just wrote the book on antitrust. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, Booker you know, has, you know, Booker has proposed that whole new thing about, you know, a moratorium on KFOs and, oh, my God, the, the you know, the, the trades. And I know you read them too, Mike, but the trades went crazy over that. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. Hilarious. Yeah. I, I, I'll tell you, Senator Booker is is doing his job and he's, he's fantastic. He's been a real yeah. supporter of the independent cattle producer and yeah. trying to rebuild agriculture in general. But but we've got some really good leadership in Congress now. Senator Warren hates monopolies. Yep. Uh, of course, Bernie Sanders hates monopolies. You know, look, if you hate monopolies, you need to be elected. If you love monopolies, kick them out. Yeah, that's pretty much how I feel about it as well. Listen, we're going to have to say goodbye for now, but thank you so, so much, Mike. This has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed every minute. I learned a lot. Um, so I, you know, I hope we keep on talking. I'll be in touch the next time I see, or, or if you find something you want to talk about, just call me. All right, Katie. Thanks All for right. this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was a pleasure. And uh, we'll see you next week, folks. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Bye-bye for now. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, 
tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.